Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Fish Untamed Podcast, your home for fly fishing the backcountry. This is episode 68 with Mitch Dusling on adventuring in Ontario. I would love to just get a background on how you got your start in fishing. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, well, you know, I think it was kind of like I got started in fishing kind of like a lot of people do, which was just, um, you know, I was a spin fisher when I was a kid and I really had a lot of fun doing that. And my parents owned like a boat. So we would go out sometimes and, you know, cruise like the the Rideau Canal system in Ottawa. Um, and yeah, I would just catch sunfish on spinning rods and things like that, you know. Um, and then, uh, yeah, when I was, um, you know, like 13 or so, 12 or 13, um, we got a cottage, like my family got a cottage up in the middle of like nowhere. And, um, it's kind of around the same time I got into fly fishing. So, uh, my uncle actually is a huge fly angler and, um, that's where I saw it. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of a cool looking thing. You know, I'm going to see what that's about. And that's it. I just kind of like started learning about fly tying first. Weirdly, I kind of started with that and then, uh, slowly got into, got my first rod at, uh, I think it was, it was a place called, um, Le Baron, which is an auto, was like a small fishing store, but I got like a scientific angler, you know, like a, uh-huh. like a $80 setup and, and it was great. And that was it. And then I caught a walleye on the fly and, uh, it was huge and it like totally rocked my world. And that was it. I was hooked. <laughs> was a walleye your first fly or fish on the fly then? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of, it was like totally by chance. Like I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Like I was, uh, in a canoe, um, on, on that lake where my family cottages and, um, I was just kind of like fumbling with my line and I'm fumbling with my anchor. Cause I had an anchor out and it was stuck on a big tree on the bottom of the lake. And I was kind of pulling on that and I almost flipped the boat. And then I picked up my lo- my rod and it was heavy. And I was like, oh, now I'm stuck on the bottom too. And it started to pull back and I was like, Oh man. And I got this fish up and it was like a big, it was probably like a 22 inch walleye. It was a nice fish. Um, and I almost like flipped the canoe and like died and it was like a totally <laughs> bad scene, but it was like, it was totally like it had me hooked. It was like so exciting, you know, like that first fish on a fly rod. It's so, it's just a whimsical moment, you know? You've got to be one of the only people whose first fish on a fly was a walleye. Like I, I know <laughs> a lot of people who've never um, caught a walleye at all, let alone on the fly, let alone as their first fish. That, that, yeah. You've got to be one of like a handful of people that that's happened to. 
it was a weird, yeah, it was a weird experience, you know? Like, I mean, you know, after that, it was like I hadn't caught a walleye after that for so long. It was like bass and smallies and largemouth, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it was it was exciting. Maybe that's, like, part of the reason why I got so into it because I was it was just like, wow, I can't believe I caught this fish, you know? It was like yeah, I, nothing like I had caught on a spinning rod before. I was like, okay, this is kind of amazing. Now, is this all in Ontario? Did you grow up in Ontario? Yeah, so I grew up in... Um, I'm in Toronto now. I grew up in a, in Ottawa, Ontario, which is which is uh, our nation's capital. And uh, out there, it's all like warm water fishing. Like there's not a ton of trout fishing and stuff like that. So, um, and it is you know there there is a lot of walleye opportunities um, like that part of Ontario. But uh, yeah, it's mostly like bass and pike and things like that. You know. Do you still do uh, much walleye fishing, or have you kind of transitioned over to some of the other species that are available around you? We yeah, we've totally like you know just like so fly like we've been able to travel and like fish so many different places. So it's been cool to do that. And when I moved down to Southern Ontario, there's a lot of great trout fishing down here. So it was like, I was like, I just want to do that. You know, I just want to go catch trout. Like I've caught enough bass. (laughs) Um, but that being said, uh, yeah, walleye totally love. I love fishing for walleye. Like they're, I don't know if you know, but they're like Ontario's like fish. Like they're like our mascot, you know, (laughs) like people in Ontario, like go bananas for walleye. I don't know what it is. I mean, they're delicious. I think that's probably part of it, which is not great. But, you know, there's people just love walleye here. And it's it's mostly, you know, spitting people and stuff like that. But I love catching them. Um, we, we go to we've been lucky enough to go to a place for the last two years in a row, uh, which is not which is in our home province. It's pretty far away, but um, we can drive there and, and fly. It's a quick little flight. So it's like kind of covid friendly for us. Uh, things timing just kind of worked out. But we went there two years in a row and the walleye fishing there. It's called Esnagami Lodge. The walleye fishing is like absurd. Like it's like hundreds of walleye, you know, you catch like in a week. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, yeah, t- totally still fish walleye on the fly. <laughs> That's a big <laughs> part of my uh, fly fishing life. And how are you uh, targeting them with a fly rod? Are you just like dropping a big streamer down with a, a sinking line or how do you get down to where they are? Or maybe you're fishing somewhere that's a little bit shallower. Yeah. Well, you know, it depends where, where you're at. I think typically it's, yeah, it's a full sinking line, a big, you know, uh, like streamer with a, like I've got these patterns from uh, Eric, that a guy that owns Estagami. Um, it's got like a big kind of metal skull on it. And so it just sinks right to the bottom. And okay. Great action in the water, but yeah, total sinking line. It's basically spin fishing, but we just have like fly rods, you know? Um, and then, and then typically there, it's just a lot of like, because it's a lake, it's just kind of a lot of drifting with the wind and slow retrieves and trying to get down deep. Uh, but that being said, like I've, I've had many walleye moments where we've been in shallower water, like maybe it's at a rapid, you know, a rapid kind of waterfall section. So like the fish aren't so spooky cause they've got that, you know, kind of like nervous water to protect them. Um, but, and, and when they're in that shallow, I mean, geez, like we were catching them on top water in Estangami, um, oh, that's cool. which, yeah, that's the only place I've ever been able to do that. But, uh, Aldo and I, uh, were catching them on poppers. It was insane. <laughs> we were like, what is happening? That's, that's cool. fun. I, I have done, um, a little bit of walleye fishing, very little dedicated walleye fishing, but, um, the river that I grew up fishing used to be primarily a smallmouth bass fishery and it still is, but, yeah. um, there's been kind of like a population change. I feel like over the past decade or so where there's been a lot more walleye. And so I catch them incidentally fishing for, yeah. for small mouse, but they're in, you know, they're not that deep of water. They're in the deeper parts of the river, but the deeper mm-hmm. parts of this river, are, you know, 10 to 15 feet deep. So they're yeah, not, totally. they're not, uh, completely unavailable, but I definitely have never seen one come to the surface as far as I'm aware. Oh, I, we couldn't believe it. We were like, let's just try. And then they were like hitting every cast. We're like, this is ridiculous, but you know, they're such a beautiful fish, you know, like I know a lot, they're not necessarily like, I mean, those ones were hitting pretty hard, but they're just such a cool looking species, you know? Do you find them fun? I know a lot of people say that they don't like them because they kind of just, they kind of just feel like a a log at the end of your line. Like they don't do a lot of thrashing and stuff. And I like that. I kind of like that Mm -hmm. pull of like, I'm just yanking back on uh, what feels like a a rock. Um, Do you like that or do you find it boring? (laughs) No, I totally love it. I mean, okay. I, I get people are, you know, people call them wet socks up here. Like, yeah, um, it's like, yeah, I get it. You know, people say the same about lake trout. I mean, we've had I've had walleye go bananas and I've had them just kind of float up to. To be honest, like I'm not really I don't like get a my I don't fish for the fight. You know, like I don't I really? actually like that's the part that kind of stresses me out the most. <laughs> like I'm like because a I'm like, oh, I'm going to lose this thing or B. It's like, you know, I don't want to like, you know, stress out an animal. I feel bad, but what getting it to the boat and having a second with the fish and letting it go. Like that's the part I, I have a lot of fun with. So I, I tend to use heavier gear anyway. And, uh, 
So yeah, I like that wallet just kind of float up. They're like, whatever, you know, yep, let's here do I am. this. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's funny that you mentioned that. Cause I, I associate most fishermen uh, with the opposite feeling of like, I fish for the fight. Um, if I don't actually get to the boat, I don't really care. I just want to feel that tug on the end of my line. And I get that way with a lot of smaller fish. Like if you've caught 10 fish that day, uh, mm-hmm. it's like pinch that barb, let it shake off the hook before it even gets to the net. Cause I, you know, I got what I came for. Um, I don't actually need yeah. to put my hands on the fish, but I also see where you're coming from of, you know, it, that's kind of a special moment to have it there and be able to look at it. Like that's what you're striving for when you go out. Um, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone actually say out loud, no, I don't really care about the fight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like sure it's fun and it's exhilarating and it's like, oh my God, this is crazy. And oh, this is such a big fish and all that stuff. But, um, no, yeah. Like I prefer just the moment where you actually get to look at the thing or like, yeah you know, see it up close. Like I, I, I almost, I've been thinking over the last few years, like eventually I'll probably just scuba dive, you know, just so I can swim with fish and see them instead of fishing for them. You know, like I just love seeing the fish versus yeah. the actual, you know, uh, fight of it. But yeah, I mean, it is also very fun. Totally. Right. <laughs> Are there other things that you, I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of things you get from fishing, but, mm-hmm. uh, it, is it mostly that? Is it getting your hands on the fish? Is it the camaraderie? Is it just being out in nature? Like, what is it that uh, is really driving you? Yeah, it's a good question. Like, I mean, there's so many things about fly fishing that is just, that's awesome. And it depends where you're going, right? Like, down here in Southern Ontario, we go out fishing. Uh, different times of the year dictate what we're fishing for. You know, we've got trout season that's open from you know, the spring, like, uh, April to, you know, like it's only really open for the summer, but we kind of stop, uh, trout fishing cause it gets so hot. So we just don't do it. So we've got a few weeks, you know, really to go out and, and hit the hatches and like catch trout here in Southern Ontario. So it's like that I'm doing that because it's like, yeah, I'm getting out with, you know, some friends, uh, we're going to a really cool, beautiful local place, um, which is, which is always fun. Like to be able to, you know, finish work and hop in the car and go fly fishing till the sun's gone. Like, that's great for a bunch of reasons, you know? And, um, and, and getting a chance to like see those fish and interact with those fish and just like be part of the history that's, you know, taken, taken part there. Like all of those things are really exciting, but then we've got this other side of, um, our fly fishing life, which is, you know, we travel, right. And so it's like kind of more expedition, like adventure based stuff. Uh, and I love that stuff. Like I really love going on adventures with people and, um, and going fly fishing places I haven't been or or places that I've been many times, like going on trips is a blast and uh, getting to meet new people and, and fish new water and stuff like that. It's just so much fun for, for all of the adventure reasons, you know? So yeah, I think, um, I think there's, there's a, there's a huge slew of reasons why I fly fish what I get out of it. But, um, I think at the end of the day, it's just, I don't know, like, it's also just something I, I, I just have to do. Like, I just love doing it and I don't really know why. And it's kind of a weird thing like fishing, you know, like when you really think about what you're doing, you're like, this is kind of a weird, like, <laughs> pastime, yeah, weird you know? activity. Yeah. But it's just so like, I can't imagine ever existing without fishing in some way or being, being fishy in some way, you know? Yeah. I've, I've heard that a lot from a lot of people and yeah. I, like I identify with that as well. And I think it's something that you can't really explain. And I'm sure people in with different hobbies have that feeling too. Uh, that it's oh, just yeah. like, you know, if you're trying to list out logically why you do this, it does sound kind of weird. Sure. It's like, I don't know. I like throwing this in the water and seeing if something eats it. And then I pull it into myself. And it's like, when you, when you say it like that, it sounds weird, but that's a if, good point. If you do it, you understand that there's just, well, it's like know. anything can sound dumb, right? Like, <laughs> right. like hockey, like you're just hitting a piece of rubber with a stick. <laughs> right. like, yeah. I guess that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. But, but if you do it, you just, you have that feeling and it's, yeah. it's not even a question of, um, like mm-hmm. whether you're going to keep doing it, it's just something that you do. Something you do. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, getting into SoFly, um, I want to hear the history of how this started. Like how'd you guys all meet and how did SoFly yeah. come about? Cause I was kind of browsing, uh, your website, um, before we got on here and mm-hmm. it looks like you do like quite a bit of media stuff and SoFly, is, it appears if I, if I interpreted it right, SoFly is just like one of your projects, um, which I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of. So, uh, I'd love to hear how SoFly got started and also how you kind of got into media and what else you do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. SoFly. So yeah, like, let's see here. I moved to Toronto, um, in like 2015, and, um, I was getting into, I came here to get into, you know, an industry advertising, the advertising industry. I needed a job and, uh, I, I, I thought, Hey, that'd be a fun thing to do. Go make TV commercials. And so, uh, I got down to Toronto and, um, 
I was able to get an internship actually through, I was at school and I was doing like kind of a work placement type of thing. And, uh, I found someone in Toronto, it was an agency called one advertising and, and they were like, yeah, sure. Come and, you know, do your placement or whatever here. And I was like, okay. So I came down here to Toronto, went to one advertising. And at that time I, I was also doing a, like a fishing kind of just like, like many people, like a little blog on the side just to kind of have you know, a bit of a fishing outlet because yeah. I've always been into, you know, doing creative projects and stuff. So it was called Drift Fishing and it was just, it was just like a website with uh, sometimes I'd write articles and stuff like that, put pictures on it. Um, but anyways, I was like, yeah, I want to like do more of that stuff. I know I want to do more of that stuff moving forward. Um, but like, I, I can't do this stuff on my own. Like, it's like, I need an, I need an art director. Like I need a designer, like a graphic art person, you know, like someone to help me. Um, it's just so much better when you have a team. And so, uh, anyways, I was just, that was kind of always in my mind. I started this, this placement and I walked in, uh, to the job the first day and there was a, there was an art director there. He's all tall and muscular and he was wearing, you know, tight pants and a press dress shirt. And it was uh, Yilma who's my, my co-host oh. on the show. <laughs> fancy, fancy Yilma. And I was like, who is this? Who's this guy? You know, like, and he just like immediately looked at me. I, we smiled at each other. I was like, oh man, this guy's, this is a funny dude. And. And uh, the creative director said, uh, yeah, you know, like, hey, Mitch fly fishes. And Yilma was just getting in like his girlfriend bought him a fly rod or something like that. And he's like, oh, yeah. So anyways, we I was there for like three or four months and uh, we just kind of got to talking about, you know, fly fishing. And I was like, hey, I want to do some kind of creative thing. Like, would you be up for it? Like, do you want to just do something with me? And he's like, yeah, let's yeah, I'm down. Like, we'll figure it out. And. We uh, we ended up chatting a bunch of times like down at uh, a bar called McVeigh's on Queen Street and and uh, brainstorming about what we could do. And and then another guy joined uh, someone I had known through a friend. They're like, oh, this guy lives in Toronto. You should you just move there. You should meet him. His name's Gab. He's a photographer. He's from Quebec. And uh, so we all kind of got together and we we're like, oh, do you guys all want to do this something? And they're like, yeah, no idea what. And then you almost you almost actually, you know, we're like, well, let's come up with a name and a logo, I guess. And so like Yilma thought of the name SoFly and uh, he called me. He's like, what about SoFly? And I was like, that's that's such a fun, stupid name. That's perfect. Um, and then, yeah, like I was like one day we were driving to go fishing, actually. And I was like, I think we should do a podcast. I think that's what we should do. Like I always wanted to do some kind of radio thing. You know, I love podcasting. I love radio shows. I love interviews. I thought, hey, you know, why don't I, we give that a shot? And and they were just like down. They're just like, sure, whatever surprisingly. And so I was like, well, this is a cool opportunity. Like, I don't want to waste this. Right. So we, that's it. We just like got some like crappy, uh, snowball microphones and we, uh, got together and in my apartment downtown and we cranked out the first episode and it was terrible. We had no idea what the heck we were doing. Um, and we just kind of talked about like our fishing lives. It's like anyone cares, you know? And, uh, but that was it. And then we just kept doing it from there. And eventually Aldo, uh, joined as well. We had him on the show. Um, and he joined the podcast as well and, and Gab moved back to Quebec. So now it's Aldo and Yilma and I, and, um, and Aldo's just been, you know, amazing. Like, again, crazy that we've, we all met, like, it just doesn't make sense to, to meet people that are like down to like give up huge chunks of their week and months to like do some fly fishing creative thing for fun. Uh, it's kind of a wild thing, right? So, yeah, I'm kind of impressed know. with that. Just knowing even my own schedule, like I just have to schedule with one person at a time, uh, mm -hmm. and even that feels hectic at times. I can't imagine, uh, doing it with like three or four other people, I guess two or three other people, um, and yeah. doing that consistently and matching up with everyone's schedules. That just sounds, uh, hectic. So I'm, I'm impressed that you've kept it up for as long as you have. Yeah. I mean, we just like, again, like been lucky that like the three of us have just been like down to do that, you know, like kind of mold our schedules around it and just like keep going and just like not stop and. And I think that's the reason why we're all like, well, let's keep doing stuff together because clearly we, we, we can't like, we haven't killed each other yet and we're not, we're still friends, you know, yeah. very much. And it's like, that's, I think a unique opportunity, you know? So it's like, well, let's just keep making stuff until like, we just get so bored of it and we, or we hate each other. Right. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when, when did you guys start the podcast? Do you know what year? Yeah, we started in 2016. Okay. So it was January, so 2016. Long time now. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a few years for sure. And, um, you know, in the beginning, like we were kind of a little more as we were learning how to do podcasting, we were kind of like not very consistent. And eventually I think around like episode 10 or something, we we're like, okay, hey, we got to like 
put these out every, you know, we got to be consistent because people like aren't paying attention. So we started to kind of, you know, strap ourselves down and, and get to it. But yeah, 2016. Have you noticed that that consistency matters a lot? Because I've, I've thought about that myself just in terms of mm-hmm. I, I feel this need to be out on a schedule because in my mind, everyone's waiting for it on Thursday mornings, even though I'm sure like nobody is. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I almost fear for myself that if I started skipping, um, I would lose my like, I, I think I need to stay on that track to keep my own momentum. Um, yeah, and I, totally. I try to convince myself that, it, that the listeners are waiting for it. But but really, I'm thinking that it's just for myself. Have you guys noticed anything with the consistency? Like when you started being consistent? Like, did you get a better response from people? Um, or was it kind of the same uh, thing that I mentioned, where it's like, just for yourselves, you felt like you needed that uh, kind of routine to stick with it? Way better response. Like really? we definitely felt yeah, we felt like the because I think what it did, what is it like being consistent and actually like trying to be re- like responsible in terms of putting stuff out. It's like, okay, these guys are, you know, it makes it feel like a real thing, you know, like an actual like program where it's yeah. like, okay, this, I know this is going to come out on these days. And, you know, and if you do it long enough, people are like, okay, well, maybe we should listen because it's like they haven't stopped, you know? Yeah. They're still um, yeah. So it's like, you know, I think if it's consistency and, and just like being being reliable in terms of like as a source of content and entertainment, I think it helps. And it just makes it feel more more real and kind of more stable, you know, but I, um, I agree. Yeah. People are waiting. People are waiting for your show, you know, and it's even if it's like five people like that, if you keep doing it and, and you know, it'll it'll turn into 10, 20, 40 right. and then it'll just take off. Right. But I promise there's people that are like, this is the day, you know, Fish on Tame comes out and it's like. Don't miss it because that those people will be like, well, I don't know, you know, it's good. Well, you have to remind yourself too, like even if you've got, uh, like say you've got a hundred listeners and it feels terrible, and then you think about mm-hmm. like what a room full of a hundred people would look like, and you're like, wow, it, it, like if you actually if you saw that group of people, it would be, you would think it's a lot of people, but seeing that number. You're like, oh, it's not that many because you hear about shows that are getting, you know, a million yeah. downloads an episode. And you're just like, well, I'm never going to yeah. be there. But it's like, I don't know. Imagine seeing a room full of 300 people that all came to see you. It is cool. It is cool. I've thought of that, too, actually, because, yeah, because, you know, like, yeah, you, I think because we what we do with this podcasting and stuff, we want to know if people are out there listening because right. if they're not, it's like. But at the same time, you know, like we've never really done it to be like, you know, oh, man we don't have X number of listeners. Like we should hang it up. I think that just what we do, if we were like that, like we just wouldn't, I don't think we would ever like be able to make it. Cause it's just such a slow burn. Like the podcast yeah. getting the word out. There's so many of them, you know, like, and there's so many, there's just so many like entertainment, like platforms, like you can just spend your life on YouTube. So it's like, let's just, let's, we do it for the fun of it. And, and, and we, we love that there's some people listening and, and they like to chat with us about their fishing lives. And sometimes we can hit the water. It's just like a really cool like outlet for, you know, meeting people, getting out to cool places and and be, getting to be creative and not have it be, you know, dictated by like some client or like some, you know, whatever yeah. brand, you know. Yeah, it's, it's like your own thing. creative outlet, but it's, it's also fun and it brings you a lot of um, yeah. Like you said, it, like it's a great way to meet people. I feel like a lot, I've met a lot of great people uh, just from yeah. asking them to talk to them. I, I was talking to somebody else about this recently too, but um, mm-hmm. it's really easy to get someone to talk to you when you bring up a podcast. Like you can't just you can't just email some yeah, expert in the exactly. field and be like, hey, can you just like talk to me for an hour and let me pick your brain? They're like, no, I'm busy. But if you're like, hey, yeah. I'm going to record it and release it to everyone, they're suddenly like, sure, I'll come on. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's like a legitimate thing. I know yeah. it's insane. Yeah. But it's 100% true, right? Like, we've been able to meet, I've been able to meet some of, like, my heroes, people that I, like, admired when I was, like, growing up, you know, writers and anglers and stuff like that. And they're just, like, if we send them a note, we're just, like, hey, we're this, you know, rinky-dink fly fishing podcast in Toronto. Like, can we interview? Sure, yeah, whatever. Sometimes it takes a couple tries. Right. Like, yeah, get back to me in a year. Okay. And we do, and they're eventually they're just, like, sure. And it's insane. It's so cool. But if we were just, yeah. Hey, can I talk to you on the phone? They'd be like, block immediately. Yes. (laughs) Creepy. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have any uh, highlights? Like any, um, you said that you've gotten to talk to some of your heroes or people you've looked up to. Mm -hmm. Any, anyone come to mind as kind of like the highlights of your, of your time podcasting? Oh yeah, totally. Um, Yeah. Like total, like total hero highlights. Like people I was like, oh man, I would love to talk to that person. Uh, Two right off the top would be one Mark Kingwell. So he's a, a writer 
Um, and he's actually a philosopher and like a, a, a professor at University of Toronto here. Um, and he's just like, he wrote this book called uh, Catch and Release. And I read it when I was like 14. And I just thought it was a great book. You know, like at that time, I couldn't get my hands on enough fly fishing writing. It was kind of like a starting to kind of become more prominent, you know, like the, of course, there was always the instructional books, which I had plenty of. But the just like the, you know, the books just about stories about these people's fishing trips and stuff. I loved it. So, yeah, Kingwell, like I read his book a few times when I was a kid and it was like, this is so cool. Um, and one like one day during the podcasting, like a couple of years ago, I was like, um, where like where I should we should hit Kingwell up, you know, and like see if like where. It, and I was like, oh, yeah, he's I thought he lived in New York. I look him up and he's like lives like down the street from me. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's insane. <laughs> like where I was in Toronto. Um, so I emailed him and he got back to me in like five minutes. He was like actually on a fishing trip at the time. And he's like, I'm down. I'm so down to come on the show. And so we went to the agency Yilma and I were working at at the time called The Hive on King Street. And um, one day and Kingwell came by and we all got together and we just got to jam in person, which was which was awesome. Um, so that was huge. That was super cool. Cause I was just like, wow, I can't believe again that that worked out so well. Um, and then the other one would be, uh, Les Stroud, who was survivor man. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yeah. Show. Yeah. So I watched like, that a lot yeah. as a kid. <laughs> oh, it's the best, right? Like I watched it as a kid too. It was, you know, he's like surviving on by himself in the middle of nowhere with like no camera crew and filming the whole thing. And I feel like he was um, like the first one. I, there's there's yeah. been a lot since then or a lot of similar shows yeah. like alone and stuff like that. And, um, I like those exactly. too, but I feel like Les Stroud was the one that as a kid, I was, I was like, yeah. th- what I want to do what this guy does. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A hundred percent. He kicked off the whole like survival thing, you know? And, and then yeah, bear girls came and all that it, like sort of uh, sensational stuff. Yeah. But like Stroud was totally a pioneer in that sort of thing. I mean, the show was huge. It was awesome. And, um, so yeah, it was like, he's not even like he fly fishes like a, he's fly fished a bit and he's like more of a spin fishing person, but, uh, that's cool. And you know, I was just like, I don't care. Like just come on the show so I could talk to you about like whatever bears doesn't yeah. matter. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, I contacted him like just on a whim. I emailed like his whatever, some, some email address that was in relation to him. And, and they're like, Oh, like he's too busy. Like he was like, contact me in a year. And I was like, okay. So a year went by and I did it again. Oh, like he's still too busy. Like he's got so much stuff, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. I was like, well, this probably isn't going to happen. And then another year went by like, or six months, eight months, something like that. And I was like, I was like, man, we just gotta, we gotta do this. So I was like, okay, I know Les Stroud goes to a place in Ontario called Tomogamy, Ontario. And I've, we've got friends in Tomogamy that own an outfitter. And I was like, listen, Stroud, Stroudinator, if we can go to Tomogamy, and you come up there because he was playing a show there. I was like, if we can get be there on that day, will you record with us? He's like, yes, fine. If you could be there before the show that I'm playing that day, fine. I'll come by to Mogami Outfit and Co. And you can record me. So we did. We, I took a day off work, Ilma and I, and we like drove north to Mogami and and set all up the gear and everything. We brought our photographer friend Andy with us to shoot it. And yeah, Stroud like rolls up and he's just like uh, super nice and he's got his dog with him. Um, and he did the show and then. we recorded an awesome episode. He just talked and talked and talked. And then uh, afterwards he was like, yeah, you guys should like come to my show tonight or whatever. So we went to his concert across the street and hung out and it was, it was awesome. It was like a total, like, Oh man, it was such a good moment. I was like, wow, I can't believe that happened. Like it was so cool that that happened. It's cool to see your heroes as like real people. It's so easy to think of them as this like abstract person that exists on screens and stuff that, or or in writing that doesn't actually, you know, walk around during the day and like go to the store and do like normal people things. And then you, you talk to them and you're like, wow, you're just a guy, but it's crazy to, to have that experience and realize that this is just a guy who's willing to come on and chat about whatever. And yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's got, oh, I got to go like eat lunch or I got to take my dog out or, oh, I forgot my keys in the car. Yeah. Like, all of those little like human things, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like you're not always just in the bush, like, you know, cutting trees down right. to like survive. <laughs> like you're, you're just a guy. He actually rolled up in a, an orange Jeep, like a bright orange Jeep. And he I was like, oh, that's an interesting choice. And he like rolled his window down. He's like, this is not my Jeep. Like he rented it or something. He wanted to make <laughs> us know. I was like, oh, OK, fair enough. He was like, I don't drive a bright orange Jeep or whatever it was. I was like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> but uh, it was it was awesome. It was really cool. 
I had a tomogamy on my list actually to, to bring up. I was going to bring it up after, um, and maybe we can. I, I wanted to hear the rest of your media story too, like what else you do. But um, I do want to touch on tomogamy. And uh, <clears throat> specifically, I don't know if, are, are the Aurora trout in tomogamy or is that a separate area? Because that's another thing I'm really interested in hearing about. Yeah, there are Auroras in tomogamy. Tomog- so tomogamy is just a massive area and like right in kind of uh, like in Northern Ontario. And, and actually the Auroras are, are in a nor- northern kind of swath of land, so they're uh, they're not too far from as well, like Timmins and like Elk Lake and places like that. Um, they're in backcountry lakes. Uh, they're like originally they were only in a couple of lakes um, in Ontario, like when they were first discovered. Um, but I think since then the MNR has stocked. They're still only in a couple lakes, but the MNR I think has stocked like a one or two more to help like the you know the populations keep going. But they're super protected fish. Um, yeah, they're only found in Ontario. Uh, you can only fish them like the, the seasons are very limited. Are they a subspecies of brook trout, or what? What are they considered? Do you know? It's a good question. I don't think they're a subspecies of brookies. They're kind of they're like their own trout. Are they are like their own species? They're their own, yeah. And, and it's like um, they are brook trout looking in that way. Like they've got greens and oranges and things like that, um, but they don't have the patterns of a brookie. They're much more kind of just like plain on the side. Um, and they're, they're very, like their heads and their eyes, very dark, 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 kind of mean looking fish. Huh. Okay. Um, but yeah, they're their own trout. Yeah. Cause yeah. when I've seen pictures of them, it looks like a brook trout that got like wiped clean almost. Um, yeah. and I assumed maybe it was a brook trout that got isolated and over time developed some sort of different pattern the way that like our cutthroats out here, uh, you know, look a little bit different, but they're all, yeah. they're all versions of cutthroats. I wasn't sure if it was actually a, a version of a brook trout or if it was its own deal. My understanding is it's like it's its own trout, and uh, it was discovered like way, way back when uh, this this I think it was an angler or two from like Boston or something uh, were up fishing in that area, and they caught this fish, and they were like, "This doesn't look like anything else." And they they actually yeah they 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 discovered it was its own trout, and they actually ended up taking it back, and I think the they got it taxidermied, and it's somewhere in a museum. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's like it's totally owned like trout, and it's just in Ontario, and it's super super cool. Um, I still haven't caught one, but I have oh, seen really? hatchery auroras cause they have, they have, uh, our, our MNR here in Ontario have actually, um, like, you know, reproduced them in, um, pens, but just again, to protect them because there was some issues with the lakes and mining and things like that. Um, but they're, they're crazy cool looking up close. Very, very cool. I'd love to catch one. We tried, it was, it was a valiant effort, but it was like, it was such a fail. It was kind of funny actually. What happened? <laughs> Well, we like, we were like, okay, we're going to go do this Aurora thing, you know, like everybody's so interested in Aurora trout, obviously such a cool species. And, um, we're like, let's go do this. We'll make a video. It'll be so cool. We'll do a podcast. You know, we're going to catch an Aurora trout. It's going to be insane. And we like went and spent like two days bobbing around this lake. It's just totally still water, the calmest water ever, like pretty deep too, in a lot of spots. And we just didn't even have a single bite. And that's not to say they're there. Like we know people that have caught Aurora's in that lake. Um, but, you know, on a fly rod in like, you know, 40 feet of water, some some of the parts were like 50 feet deep. It's like middle, of, like it's kind of hot out. It's like these fish are just, they're not, they're not going to come up for my, you know, fly. Like there's no way. So we tried, but uh, we did everything we thought we could. We just, just didn't happen. So you know? do you think it was the uh, conditions that day or are they known for being like really, really hard to catch? Is, is, is there any sort of reputation around that? Or is, do you think you just kind of got dealt a bad hand that day and it just wasn't meant to be? I think we just didn't know what the heck we were doing okay. on the fly rod, to be honest. Because I think if we, you know, if we had like spoons or like worms, uh, we definitely would have been luckier. Uh, like we know people that have gone there don't really know much about fishing, casting out a spoon. You know, if you cast, they get an aurora. They're like, wow, look at this. It's crazy. Uh, and they don't really know what it is and you know what's going on. Um, so, yeah, like on a spinning rod with, you know, like spoons or whatever, something deep, something that can drop down deep, like. Great, but on flies, like we just, I don't think we really, we're not expert stillwater people at all and uh, the furthest thing from that. And so I think it was just, you know, we were like, well, let's, you know, we tried a few things. We had uh, we had some still wa- stillwater rigs on. We also were like, we had full sinking lines with streamers on the end and we were like drifting with the wind. And we tried that for a few hours and it just never lined up. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think it was a luck thing. I think we just... We we didn't have the the skills needed to to get one that day. Stillwater can be kind of daunting. Uh, yeah, I think 
so we've got some alpine lakes here, which are, in my opinion, not terribly hard to fish because they're generally kind of small. Mm. I mean, you can kind of walk the whole way around them. Um, you'll probably see the fish cruising, so you can kind of figure it out. But bigger lakes like that, it's like there's no, there's not the reading water you can get in a river where you can say like, okay, I see a, a, a seam there, or an eddy or pocket, and I know that there's probably fish there. It's just kind of such a big sea of water that looks yeah. the same. I mean, like, where do you start? Um, I know there's people who really specialize in that and can target fish there. But I also know a lot of people who really struggle with that just because it's so overwhelming. And I could see that. Oh, yeah. I could see myself having the same issue you guys did just showing up there and being like, well, now what? <laughs> what do we do? Yeah. You know, like squirmy worms, I guess. Squirmy <laughs> worms, you know. We, it was just like a bowl of water. And yeah. We were just like, well, we've got two days. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> but yeah, it can definitely be daunting for sure. Like still water is a whole other art in itself. So yeah, it was just, you know, didn't happen. Unfortunately, beautiful fish though. We saw, we did see them at the hatchery. We're like, wow. I assume so you guys cool. will go back and try again at some point. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, like they're, you know, being a being a trout that's just in our home province. Like that's where it exists. I mean, that's so cool. Yeah, like we have to catch one. So, we we will definitely put in some more research, figure out a way to do it, and uh, definitely go back. But it's got to be on a fly. You know, like we we're not going to cheat. We're not going to put on a worm. <laughs> like we thought about it, but it's not going to, we got to do it on a fly rod just cause it'll be so much cooler, you know? Feels right. Yeah, totally. Tell me more about, uh, tomogamy. Is it, what, what is tomogamy? Is it a region? Is it a specific park? Um, like what, mm-hmm. what is included in tomogamy? Yeah. So tomogamy is a huge expanse, like region in Ontario. Uh, it's located about four or five hours from Toronto and Ottawa. Um, so it's, it's not a bad drive at all. Uh, it's all highway driving. So super accessible. Um, it is kind of like, uh, the last, it's kind of like the fur, the closest furthest, like, you know, wild experience you can have if you're in Ontario, um, because you don't have to go that far, but it's like right on the edge of like where Ontario gets like really wild, you know, mm-hmm. like once you go past Tomogamy, then it's like, there's nothing there. Like get to fly places. Um, so yeah, Tomogamy is just like this beautiful, really, you know, relatively untouched, um, place. Uh, if people in Ontario are listening or people that know Algonquin park, it's, it's like Algonquin park, but just like, there's no one there. Like there's not that many people in Tomogamy. Um, it's tons of lakes, like tons of rivers. Uh, it's really known for it's paddling. So it's like a huge paddling destination. Um, actually Les was talking about it as like, potentially like the greatest place in the world to canoe and paddle because it's just endless portages and and routes and places you can explore um great perfect water for paddling and things like that so uh yeah huge camping destination hiking all that kind of stuff and for us you know we we got introduced to it because um yilma was working for a fellow that knew the guy eric who became our friend and he was opening an outfitter in tomogamy right when we were starting SoFly. And so, um, yeah, like Ilma's boss was like, well, you should go meet this guy and like do something with him. And we were like, okay. So like we, it was like our first trip, you know, um, Ilma and Gab and I, and we like rented a, we didn't want to drive our own cars for some reason. I don't know why we're like, it's so far, you know, uh, it was like four hours. <laughs> like it's so far away. So we like rented a Dodge Durango and like loaded it up with all of our gear and, and rolled it to Mogami and, yeah, like first impressions, it was like, wow, like that was like the most north in Ontario I think any of us had been at the time, you know. Um, so, you know, being from Ottawa and Toronto, it was like, wow, this is like so wild and and amazing. But, um, yeah, we met Eric and we for us, it was all about the fishing. So lots of, you know, we were catching bass and warm water fish like that. Walleye is a big thing up there. Um, they do have lakes with trout and there's rivers with, you know, brookies for sure. And and even rainbows and things like that. So, yeah, pretty. it's just like a very good Ontario place um, and it's huge like there's so many places to explore sounds almost uh, like the boundary waters maybe the boundary waters but maybe even uh, accentuated a little bit more just because mm-hmm. even though the boundary waters being a wilderness is you know there's not roads and stuff built up in it uh, still has a decent population around it I assume it sounds like you're kind of Tomogamy is almost on the fringes of where people are even living uh, which I'm sure yep. just kind of adds to that feeling of being way yeah. out there yeah, like Tomogamy is a town. So like it is a region, oh, okay. but there's a town called Tomogamy as well. Um, so, yeah, it's a huge, huge, huge region in Ontario. But then the town of Tomogamy is very small and there's like not that many people there. Um, and it's really like the people that are there, you know, maybe the loggers or like miners or, um, you know, not even just people that have just been there for a while. And um, 
it, it influxes in the summer when people come and paddle and hike and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, there's not, there's not many people up there. It is definitely like a remote, quiet place, you know. Do you guys make it up there fairly often? I've definitely heard it several times on your show, um, but I never know yeah. like how many different trips I'm actually hearing about or if you're just right. like referencing things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we do. We go all the time. Oh, really? Like, okay. Uh, well, because we we became we kind of hit it off with Eric, the owner, and um, and his wife Karen. We became friends, and they're just super fun to hang out with. And they've just been so cool about having us up there. And you know, like just come hang out, fish, do whatever you want. Like take my van, I don't care, and take a canoe. It's just like wow, okay. So basically, he was like, "You guys come up here, hang out, and just you know, maybe you know what we do is we give them photos and videos and podcasts, and we try to like you know pump up his lodge and stuff and the outfitter." as much as we can, because it's a great business he's got going on. Tomogamy is really an amazing place. Um, so yeah, we became friends. And so we've, we've gone up tons, tons and tons like that. That first trip was just the, just the, this icing on the, you know, the tip of the iceberg. Cause after that, we went back every year and, um, eventually started going back multiple times a year, winter, a few times in the summer, you know, maybe in the spring. Cause it's not, like I said, it's not that far, you know, yeah. despite what we thought the first time we went up, like we go after work now, you know, like it's like, <laughs> it's not a big deal. I mean, four <laughs> and hours. Then actually, um, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Aldo lived there all summer. So like he actually ended up working there. Oh, cool. Um, and opening a bar with Eric in the outfitter and a restaurant. So yeah, like we were constantly in tomography. It's awesome. Yeah. I feel like a four hour drive sounds like a lot until you know that what's on the other end of that is something you really want to do. And suddenly you're like, oh, it's only four hours yeah. instead of, oh yeah, my exactly. God, it's four hours. <laughs> Well, you know, once you start traveling, it's like you get, it's just so much easier, right? Because you're like, oh, like the first trip, it's like, wow, we're so north. And then the second trip, it's like, whoa, now we're so north. And then the third trip, we're like, actually north. We're like, oh no, this is, you know, so just like everything, it doesn't, driving is like not a big deal yeah. anymore. You know? It's all perspective yeah. at that point. Totally. What are the logistics um, for doing a trip like that for somebody who's not in the area? Like, it sounds like it's, mm -hmm. it's not built up much at all. Is it? Is it feasible to do without hiring an outfitter if you're not in the area to drive up with your own canoe? Um, or are there facilities that you can rent stuff and kind of go mm -hmm. do a DIY trip in Tomogamy? Yeah, if you wanted to just go up to Tomogamy and experience it without um, anyone's help, yeah, 100%. Like, it's the logistics involved really are, you know, if you've got a canoe and some experience camping and things like that, look at a map, find a place you think you can get to and access. There's There's a lot of logging roads and things like that. Um, so, you know, you can get on water, uh, obviously, you know, you, you need permits and things in certain places and, you know, check, check, uh, you know, check, um, information about like where you can camp and things like that. But, um, yeah, all that stuff you can find pretty accessibly online or, or even just call up, you know, an outfitter for info and they'll help you like Eric would give you knowledge and stuff. Uh, but yeah, there's a drive up place. Like you just roll up in your car off the highway really, and you can plop your canoe into the water and go. That's pretty cool. And you could just be gone. Oh yeah. Like, you know, you go, people go and they do paddle trips and they don't see anyone for, for like a week. Like you don't see anyone, you know? So it is a great place to go and really feel remote and isolated. And, uh, and it's just beautiful because the, the, the nature there's it's, uh, they've got so many like old growth, uh, forests. So it's like just beautiful pine forests and, um, it's just such a wild, but just like very rich, colorful feeling wilderness, you know, uh, unlike maybe certain wildernesses where you, if like, you know, we go so North now there's the, the wilderness there is just like scary and rugged. Like the trees are small and the rocks are big. Whereas in Tomogamy, the trees are like huge, you know, and, and you just feel like tucked into this really beautiful, like fertile, like natural place, you know, yeah. foxes running around and deer and, you know, it's like very <laughs> idyllic. But yeah, it's very easy to have a trip there. I feel like I read a, I don't know, I, I was reading something, a book that was, it was set somewhere roughly in this region, like somewhere in mm -hmm. your half of Canada, basically. And they were, they were yeah. talking about the same thing. Um, they had gotten so far north and so, so much into this rugged country that the trees had shrunk to the point that they were basically like waist height, but they were so tightly packed that you could nearly walk on top of them. Um, yeah. and it's just like barren. And I don't, I don't know where I heard this or read this, but, uh, it sounds like that's what you're describing. Like there comes a point where the land is, it's almost too much for, for life to really do well. And it's like the life that's there is just yes. kind of barely hanging on and it's just gnarly yes. and rugged. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like, and actually on the drive through Ontario, you can see it like, so like 
once you pass tomogamy, it starts to happen. So like Elk Lake, the highway in Ontario, like the province, if you look at the province on a map, the highway basically just goes like straight up and then it starts to kind of curve in the middle of Ontario and then it just goes west. Like there's no roads in the north of Ontario. It's like polar bears and stuff. <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah, like if you if you actually do that drive, which we've done a ton now, um, after around Timmins, it starts to get, you know, where the trees start to, you know, and then Cochrane, they really start to come down. And then when you get to Hearst, Ontario, it's like, it starts to feel like that north, right? The trees are all the same, like height. They're like kind of an evergreen, all of them are evergreen trees. Um, things are cold and they just feel harsh, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And in the wilderness, there's just like badass. Like it's like wolves the size of a Toyota, you know, <laughs> and then, like they're eating moose. So, like, it's crazy. It's but that's what's cool about it too, you know. But um yeah, tomogamy is is badass as well, but just much more yeah, much just more, you know, I don't know, full and just kind of it's just a beautiful place. Amazing. It sounds like Ontario is pretty diverse in that way. I've I've been to Ontario many times, but always in the mm-hmm. the southern uh half at least. Um Yeah. But it sounds like it goes pretty far north and has quite a, a landscape change. Oh man, it's, it's huge. Like it's got, it's got so many different, um, vibes to it. You know, like Southern Ontario is very, feels very like a lot of parts of Southern Ontario feel very like upstate New York, you know, like that kind of stuff like lakes and, you know, beautiful nature and stuff. But yeah, then tomogamy is kind of that classic, like, I don't know, like camping paddling, you know, like destination. And then the north is very cold and and then like the northwest is very rugged and rocky and this big lakes, you know, because we've also got the Great Lakes, you know, so it's like that's another thing like the Great Lakes are just such cool systems and the rivers that come off of the Great Lakes are all different too. And like from the Niagara, which is just deep and very aggressive water and it's like blue, you know, to like um, rivers we fish like the Grand River and things like that, which are much more just, you know, classic kind of, um, you know, the Great Lakes trip like there is a ton of of diversity in places you can go and fish you can catch. And it's really cool in that sense. Like we are really lucky to have that, you know. Do you do most of your uh, fishing and traveling in Ontario just because it is so vast that you can kind of fit all that into your own province? Or do you uh, wander out much to some of the neighboring provinces or down to the States at all? I'd say most of mine is Ontario personally. Um, SoFly though, like in the last few years has, I mean, COVID kind of messed things up a bit, but despite that, like we've been able to take some trips, quite a few to the States, um, and, uh, to the salt as well. So, um, I've missed all of those. Like, I don't know how I keep missing salt trips. I mean, you know, now COVID and stuff like that, it's a little different, but it was just one of those things. I'll get the next one. I'll get the next one. But like, yeah, Yoma and all that went to Tobago right before, uh, the lockdown and they fished Tobago, which is like Yoma's, he, he was born there and it was kind of a cool experience. And before that, they went to Tulum, Mexico. And, uh, yeah, we've done Montana. Uh, Aldo and I fished upstate New York all the time. We were kids and like, we got to get back up there ASAP. But, uh, Texas has been a big one for us. Indiana, we went to, to fish bass. Huh, I haven't know, heard uh, that one before listed as a, uh, yeah. as a fishing destination. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was great. It was cool. It was, uh, actually someone that listened to the podcast. He was like, he was just like, you guys want to come fish with me in Indiana? And we're like, Yes, we do. He's like, really? We're like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, we'll do smallmouth. I'm like, that sounds awesome. I mean, any and he, excuse he to go cool. fish somewhere new is oh, yeah. fun. Totally. And like, this guy wants to come have us down and take us on drift boats. We're down. You know what I mean? Like, we'll come make a film. And we did. Um, and it was, the, yeah, the, it's a big smallmouth fishery there. So it's like lots of smallmouth fishing and, and warm water pike and even some walleye and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it was d- definitely a different destination. Yeah, that, that's that's cool. And it's, it's fun, and I think that there's become a bit of a more of a focus on some of these fisheries because it's fun to go watch the media of like Alaska and Montana and all these like you know classic destinations. Yeah. But I feel like in the past couple of years there's been a push to highlight some of these lesser appreciated places where it's like there's there's mm-hmm. good fishing in every state. Um, like, I mean, Texas until recently wasn't thought of as a fly fishing destination, and I feel like the past couple of years now it's it's kind of blowing up and you know, you have to remember that totally. there's, there's fish to catch in every state and there's, there's probably at least one hidden gem that is like an incredible fishery, uh, everywhere that, you know, I almost, I almost envy people from Indiana in this case. Cause it's like, no one thinks about it, but you know, they get to yeah. appreciate it and no one's like flooding in to take all their fish. <laughs> oh, you're totally right. Like it is so cool. Like, um, I, I think wherever a fly fishing like culture exists and a fly fishing culture is like 
one person with a fly rod, you know, if there's someone doing that anywhere, then it's, it's cool. You know, it's like a scene, right? Like it's cool. Um, Texas has been, yeah, you're right. Texas is wild. Like growing up, I was always like, Texas is like the largemouth place, you know, like Bill dance, spinning rods, big casters, things like that. It's like blowing up. Like it's, it's fly fish central, you know, yeah. like, which is cool. Cause it should be, I mean, the red fishing is just amazing there. It's crazy. You'll have to, uh, come down to Colorado at some point. Uh, we'll, uh, go hit the high country. Oh my God. I would love that. That'd be so fun. Colorado is definitely on the top of the list. You know, Colorado, I'd love to go to the, I've never been to Montana still. We were going to go, uh, but like at, right before COVID and then COVID hit. So we had to bail, but yeah, yeah. Colorado would be amazing. Um, I want to, uh, I want to bring up one thing I saw on your website before I hit you mm. with your own five questions. Cause I want to, I want to reverse the, uh, tables here and hit you with the Michi's <laughs> fishy five, but, um, oh, amazing. <laughs> before, uh, that I saw on your website that you're really into making cocktails, uh, and I wanted to hear more about that. Like, is that something you ever incorporate with fishing? Do you ever, are you like the camp bartender when you go out or is that kind of a separate <laughs> hobby that you just do in your own time? Oh my God. I love cocktails. Uh, all actually, Aldo would be the camp bartender cause he's actually a bartender. Oh, okay. He's like, uh, very well versed in cocktails. Uh, and yeah, no, I just kind of like, I, maybe it actually was Aldo a little bit, but, um, a few years ago, I just like really got, I mean, cocktails are amazing. You know, like who doesn't love a good cocktail and, uh, COVID, like when I was at home, I really started to get into them cause I was just like, I couldn't go to bars. I was just like, well, what am I going to do? So I just started, I got some books and started learning how to do it. And, um, and since Aldo knows I would bug him, you know, what's this, what's that? And he'd tell me and give me tips and stuff like that. But, uh, oh, there's nothing better than being like on a fishing trip and having some cocktails at the end of the day, like in the sun, you know, um, it's a, it's a fun thing for sure. And, uh, but yeah, talk when you, when you talk to Aldo, ask him, cause he's, he's the cocktail man, okay. like that guy he's running right now. He's actually running, a a Christmas like bar in Toronto called sip and Santa. It's like a tiki <laughs> Christmas. Bar. Oh, that sounds fun. I went by, yeah, I went by, he had like a Santa hat on and <laughs> yeah, it was cool. But, uh, yeah, I love cocktails. I love cocktails. Is it the, maybe this comes back to the fighting the fish versus catching the fish. Is it the drinking of the cocktail? Like, do you want the final product or do you just have fun like playing chemist and you know, mixing things together yeah. and experimenting it? Like what, what part of it is, uh, what you're, what you're really into? Well, it's a little, well, I, I like having a few of them. I like the effect of that. Okay. You know, it's fun to, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think it's kind of like fly tying actually, like to, to kind of talk about it like that. Cause it's sort of like, yeah, playing chemist, you know, like mixing things up and seeing what you can make. Like that's the, that was the cool thing I realized with cocktails. It's like, Oh, people are just making this stuff up. Like you can just mix stuff together. And it's like, this is a new drink called the blah, 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 yeah. you know, and, and syrups and just all that stuff. It's so fun to explore, you know, the flavors and what you can make. And it's kind of like fly tying in a way, right? Like, cause you could sit down at the vice and just be like, I'm going to mess around and make some bass flies and, you know, tie some crazy stuff up and just kind of be creative and, and just kind of, uh, you know, reckless in your creativity and just see what happens. And yeah, cocktails are fun like that. Exploring just, you know, I also really like the history of them, you know, and just like, uh, the, the history of some of these, these drinks and, and I got really into uh, tiki or like tropical drinks because the history of those, I just find really cool. And I don't know, it's a, it's a whole other world, you know, and it's just like an interesting thing. Cocktail, the, the world of cocktails, what a weird, what a weird and strange yeah. kind of hobby. But um, another thing that yeah. if you think about it logically, it's just kind of odd that, you know, there's all these liquors yeah. that, you know, <laughs> objectively don't really taste that good. Like I know people can appreciate a good <laughs> yeah. whiskey, but like if you, it's not like someone wants to drink it like a glass of water, you know, but then people <laughs> yeah. have found ways to turn them into something that's really enjoyable to drink by just concocting all these recipes. And totally. Um, yeah, it does sound like, like kind of like you mentioned fly tying. It's like a creative outlet, but you've got a starting point. Like you're probably not just randomly mixing things, but you've got a, you've got a, okay, these things taste good together. Let me tweak the ratios or add like one thing in or subtract one thing. And it gives you a, like a blueprint to start with, but still with the freedom to mess around and add your own mm -hmm. personal touch to it. Well, and they're also just like, so cocktails are just so central to just good moments, like being either just relaxed, like you're never stressed out. I'm never stressed out and having a cocktail. I mean, you know, I'm never using, like, I'm not like, I don't drink in that way. Right? right. So it's like, it's always like when I'm hanging out with friends or relaxing or like part of a conversation, I love like chatting and hanging out and it, a, like a good cocktail is kind of always there. So it's just like, uh, you know, it's just a cool little, uh, they're just, they're just kind of a, a nice, just a nice thing in that sense. It's like a feel good. It feels good to have, yeah. have a cocktail and have like, just have a drink in front of you. Kind of like having a beer. Yeah, and just chat, you know, like that's, it's just so much fun. Yeah. I love 
just getting together, having having a, an old fashioned and just chatting. You know, absolutely fun. super fun. I'll have to ask Aldo about that too, and uh, hear his his uh, response compared to yours, and see how being a bartender affects that. Totally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He'll probably just say I'm a hack and I have no idea what I'm doing. He's totally, <laughs> totally right. <laughs> All right. Well, I just want to end here by hitting you with your own five questions. I, I don't know if you've done this mm. on your own show. I'm sure maybe someone's turned the tables on you before. But um, if if that happened, I listened to it a long time ago. So I'm going to throw these back at you. And I know you kind of already answered yeah. one of them. We talked about like what fishing means to you, but I'll go in the order you've got them. Um, what's your favorite fish and why? Yeah. Wow. Good question. <laughs> Whoever wrote that was just a genius. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Eh? Um, I think, I mean, it's tricky. Like actually thinking about it right now, one of my favorite fish, uh, I think it'd probably be a steelhead, you know? And I mean, I, I say that because I have, I've never caught a West coast steelhead. Um, my favorite fish is a great lake steelhead. Ooh, you're going to ruffle some feathers there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> totally. People in their steelhead debate. You know, get out of here. They're steelhead. I don't care. But the Great Lakes steelhead, you know, specifically, uh, they're just amazing fish. And, and we we fish for them right now, actually. We're going out this weekend. Uh, the fall, all through the winter, is really like steelhead season for us. We can't really fish for much else, anything else. So it's all about steelheading. Um, they're just such beautiful, cool fish. And I really like the the season and the 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 feeling that comes along with steelhead fishing the cold ruggedness of it and and you know got to bundle up and you know we we bring food now when we go out like we cook hot dogs and have fun and kind of turn it into a whole other thing and i don't know it's just a it's a good time and and then getting a chance to hold a steelhead i mean they're just such you know powerful beautiful crazy fish and, and the fact that they do go into the great lakes i mean great lakes are pretty cool like i you know sometimes i just look out of lake ontario because we we live on the Toronto's on the shores of Lake Ontario and wow, that lake is big, man. I guess it's a pretty cool looking piece of water. And so th- I think, yeah, steelhead are in there and then they come in in the fall. Just such a cool fish. It's just a, yeah, cool lifestyle or uh, sorry, a life cycle. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I love steelhead. All right. Second question. If you could fish anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? I know you always qualify it with, uh, if it, if it's a, the best time of year to, to be there, right. <laughs> not necessarily right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah exactly it's important you know uh i think that's you know it's funny like i've asked we asked this question i don't even know what my answer is um i could go anywhere in the world right now i mean it you know there's this two right i think it would it's either like a place i've been that i really love and and just like have very fond memories or a new place all again probably be a new place just to try something new we've been locked down for a while you know travel's not really been possible I would love to go to like some really crazy, like, you know, the Zambezi or something like that in Africa, like fish, tiger fish, you know, like do some really cool trip like that. Um, just like the most exotic thing you could think of. <laughs> just, yeah, just some really epic, like, let's go fly fishing and on the Zamb- like Zambezi. That would be so wild. It would probably be that or like, um, you know, down for like Golden Dorado or something like that. You know, one of those two. It would be an exotic trip. Do you ever watch uh, River Monsters? Oh yeah, is, yeah. Is that where sure. you're getting these? Like, it's. I feel like I've seen a lot of these on river <laughs> monsters. Like that's specifically where I've seen uh, the the Goliath tigerfish caught. And when you mentioned yeah. that, I'm like, yeah, that that sounds pretty gnarly on yeah. a fly rod. <laughs> oh yeah, Jeremy Wade with his river monsters. That guy's awesome. Uh, yeah, like the Zambezi, like fly fishing tigerfish. I've always wanted to do it because they're just so cool. They're so crazy looking. Like, and it would just be such a wild. Africa is such a cool place and it would just be such a wild trip for us, yeah. you know, like being so far away. And I don't know. I think that would just be such a, an adventure. And I feel like maybe that's what I, what I need right now, you know, I'm being locked down for two years. Yeah. Go do something crazy. Something crazy. Yeah. Like that. That would be fun. Cool. That would be fun. Uh, we don't have to spend too much on number three just because we like, or sorry, I guess that's number four. We will do number three. What's your favorite fishing memory? Oh yeah, fishing memory. I'm actually it's kind of crazy because I'm like drawing blanks on all these right now. I'm surprised you don't have uh, your answers just ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my favorite fishing memory. Jeez, eh? I think it would probably be uh, when I was about 15. My uncle and I went steelheading for the fir- like me for the first time. Uh, I came down here from Ottawa and we went out uh, fly fishing on uh, the the Grand River, um, and. Uh, yeah, he was like, you know, I, I was only fly fishing for a couple of years and he was like, you know, come on down. He got me, he got a spay rod in my hands. I bought a new pair of waders, you know, I was so stoked and we went out and, uh, 
fished the whole day and didn't catch anything because that's you know kind of the, how it goes with steelheading. And the next day we were fishing. That was the last day, and we, I was just down for two days. And um, yeah, it was like the you know a couple hours into the morning, and I was like, eh, I'm not going to catch anything. Like I hadn't had a bite. Like I was like, it's not going to happen. And uh, he hadn't caught anything, and I was like, no, nah, nothing's, nothing's going to happen here. And uh, lo and behold, uh, you know, I was looking at a bird in a tree. I was like, quiet morning, you know, it was like a bird singing, and I wasn't even watching my line, and I'm just swing, you know, cast out swing, cast out swing. And my arm basically gets, like, ripped out of my body, and I'm just like, a heart attack moment. You know, I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe what just happened. Like, it was just like, I kind of went into shock. You know, you like kind of black out. You're like, Oh my God. And then, uh, this beautiful steelhead just jumps out of the water, like in the middle of this, uh, section of the river. And, and my uncle's like freaking out. He's like, Oh my God, like <laughs> keep your tip down. Like keep ten, like just yelling all the directions, you know, tight your line, like put the thing on. So I was listening to him, which, you know, I don't know, like that always happens around fishing trips. People start yelling, like what to do. Just, just do what you think is right. Because it's like, you know, I mean, I was going to lose this fish either way. Cause we were using big hooks there. You have to use single hooks. And it was just, I did not get a good hook set. Um, and I didn't listen to him at all. And I was just kind of, I screwed up and the fish fl- jumped off my line, but I got to see it. It jumped out of the water and I was like, oh my God, I was so excited. And then we went to the shore and he was like, well, like, there you go. Like you hooked a steelhead, you know? And I like had a sip of scotch from his flask and it was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like. I was just so hooked on steelheading. And then like, I went home to Ottawa and I like bought a spay rod and then I didn't use it for like, you know, six years because there was no steelhead where I lived. But, uh, after that, yeah, steelhead tons. And yeah, that was a great memory. It was such a good time. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that your memory is having not caught a fish. This is another one of those. (laughs) If you just logically said like, Oh, my favorite memory is having a fish, like briefly be attached to me via a, you know, 60 foot, piece of string people be like yeah, what exactly, like yeah. why is that appealing but <laughs> again if you do it you you get it like you understand that yeah that it could just be like the flash of a big fish you might have gotten like one glimpse yeah. at a giant brown trout or something and that's your favorite memory because it's just so like stark in your mind like yeah. you're so tuned into that oh, um i can see it so like a picture in my right. mind that fish out of the water i can see that moment you know and and the thing is too like my uncle's a nice guy like he he was cool he was like it's good. You hooked it. Like, that's awesome. You know, like he wasn't like Not a, yelling at you. Or... What are you? You lost <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Like, you know, like, thank God. Cause if he was like kind of a, <laughs> a mean guy, that wouldn't have been so good, but you know, it was just a special moment with us. And yeah, it was just that burned in my brain. Oh, that's cool. that fish. Just so cool. It was. Yeah. All right. Uh, fourth, fourth question. We don't have to spend too much time on cause we already yeah. covered it. The question is why do you fly fish? But I think we, we covered that pretty well at the beginning. Um, so we'll, we can skip on to number five, um, yeah, which is, I, sure. I think your guys' favorite question. And I like it too. Um, yeah. if you were, if you were a fly, <laughs> what fly best represents who you are? Yeah. That's <laughs> no, such a weird, weird question. People are always like, I don't know, like stop. Like, why are you asking well, me this? Go well, away. I think a lot of people are <laughs> yeah. like, what's my favorite fly? And you know, but that might not necessarily yeah. be the fly that is, is you. <laughs> Yes. So you're right. You know, like, and a lot of the times we, like, I was just like, well, whatever. Like, and even like, I think I've asked, I've answered this question before, like way back, like when Aldo and I were just chatting, we were like, well, what would we be? You know? And I think I said like a lady Caroline, because I just love that pattern. Like, it's just such a beautiful spay pattern, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, it's just like, I just love that fly. And so it's like, that's what I would want to be a lady Caroline. But are you beautiful? What would I be? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. You know? Like, you know, an elegant, rustic, you know, it's got a cool, it's history to it. That's not what I would be. I'm not Lady <laughs> Caroline. <laughs> you know, like, I'd, I'd be like, uh, geez, I don't know. Like, uh, uh, I mean, everybody says Wooly Bugger, too, on the show. Uh, I feel like that's just such a, you know, most people are like Wooly Bugger. And I think I'd probably be like that, too. Um, you know, probably like, I honestly, yeah, honestly, probably like, uh, like a little Adams or something like that, you know, like just a little Adams dry fly, just kind of blipping along. Just humble and, and classic. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of, uh, kind of, kind of squat and, and furry, you know. Uh, pa- parachute or regular Adams? <laughs> I think, I think I'd go regular, you know, because unless I had like a really cool haircut or something like that, then I'd be you a need parachute. a mohawk but, or something. No, I think, yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. I think I'd like to think of myself as just like a, just kind of going just going with the flow and just trying to have fun and i feel like that's a fly for yeah. that you know what i mean <laughs> yeah people who are using <laughs> like, adams yeah, aren't, aren't uh, high strung 
They're not they're not the yeah. people who uh, are frantically tying on their fly and cursing the fact that their first fly didn't work. Like they're just like, I don't know, I'm yeah. just happy to be out, I'll just tie this on. <laughs> Just toss this on and just, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the Adams is always just happy <laughs> to be probably, there. That's <laughs> probably. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's probably. Uh, that's what I, I think that might be the favorite, my favorite answer I've heard, like thinking of all the ones I've heard on your show. And it's like you said, it's usually a woolly bugger or something, but um, I like that answer. Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> Thanks. Um, well, we can get wrapped up. Uh, if you want to share, you know, where people can find your show, uh, any social medias yeah. or anything like that, people can find SoFly or any of your personal, I know you had a personal website and everything. So feel free to plug whatever you want. Oh my God. Amazing. Thank you so much. I mean, for like, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was so cool when you hit us up, like, uh, loved, I uh, just love that you wanted to talk. Like it's fun. Um, yeah, where you can find all of SoFly stuff at SoFly.ca, um, on Instagram, we're at the SoFly crew. Um, and, uh, we put out podcast episodes bi-weekly. Um, we're going to start making more YouTube videos. That's basically it. But, uh, SoFly.ca for all of our stuff and, um, yeah, you know, uh, but thanks so much for having me on. Like it was a, it was a blast getting the chat we should definitely go fishing. Absolutely. You know? I would love to hit up Ontario at some point. Um, I'm from the Eastern U S so Ontario feels like my, my part of the country kind of, yeah. but, uh, it's just like yeah. that. But, um, I really appreciate you coming on. I love your show. It feels like it's probably the most, I don't know if fun is the right word, but just, you feel like you're sitting around the, the table with a bunch of buddies and just what fishing is about you know just hanging out with people and having a good time and i feel like your show captures that better than probably anyone anyone i listen to so um thanks for putting out a great show and and this is a lot of fun talking to you oh thanks so much that means a lot appreciate it all right guys thanks for listening uh don't forget to head over to the website fishuntamed.com for all episodes and show notes and also please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app That'll get my episodes delivered straight to your phone. And also, if you have not yet, please consider going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review. That's very helpful for me, and I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, Other than that, thank you guys again for listening, and I will be back in two weeks. Bye, everybody. Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.